Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 12, which has been our, our launching verse over the last couple of weeks. Acts chapter 12, if you don't have your Bibles, you can look to your phone, your iPad, or to the screen. I encourage you to write, have some way to write, highlight, so you can go back and remember. It's important to remember. Look to your neighbor and say, it's important to remember. I mean, even in Matthew 13, some hear the word, but they don't remember it, so they lose it. Even the Old Testament, God had them create some type of sacrificial location so they could say, okay, I sacrificed here, and every time I walk by it now in the future, I remember what God did for me. Hmm. Acts chapter 12, verse 7, on the screen we'll see, suddenly there was a bright light, Peter's in the prison, suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and the angel of the Lord stood before Peter, the angel struck him on the side to awaken him, so Peter was sleeping, even though he's the night before he's going to be executed, he's in prison, he's chained between prisoners. And he's sleeping. Say, he's sleeping. Look to your other neighbor and say, he's resting. I don't know, something about this mic makes me want to be more mean to you. I don't know. I just want to work you today. <laughs> the angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrist. Verse 8, then the angel told him, get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did, now put on your coat and follow me. And the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize that it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard post and came to the iron gate leading to the city, and this opened for them all by itself. My first thing is, wish they had cameras and YouTube in those days. That would be cool to look at. So they passed through and started walking down the street, then the angel suddenly left him. I want to bring a quick thought to this, even though... The passage connects where he's going. The story's not stopping there. He's on his way home. He's on his way to another gate where someone has to open. But at that point, the angel said, listen, I've gotten you through the hard stuff. I'm going to let you finish it up from here. But Peter had to keep walking. One of the things that we've talked about is that in this miracle moment, in his pursuit to the, a promise, a deliverance, a victory, God did not overwhelm him with it. He had to participate in it. We said it this way. If God didn't need Peter involved, why didn't the angels just grab Peter by the back of his jacket and say, you're asleep, don't worry about it, I'm going to drag, or pick him up. Can you imagine you're sleeping, you wake up, and now you're in the arms, you're like, who is carrying me? No, God didn't do that. The angel woke him up. Because Peter cannot be overwhelmed with even the, the best from God. God will never overwhelm people with his goodness. If he would overwhelm people with his goodness in a matter of saying, I'm going to force you and I'm going to override your will, then he would force everyone to get saved because there's, there's no greater goodness than to know him. Can I get an amen? Can I get a better amen? So regardless of what promise of the word of God you're walking toward in the destiny of your life, maybe it's the promised land of the promise of healing, a promise of blessing, a promise of peace a promise of joy, a promise of a marriage, a promise of children, what, a promise of, uh, you know what I mean, whatever's in the Bible that's a promise. That's a promised land. That's a place where God's given you a promise that he's already completed in Christ because everything's in Jesus. Right. When did Jesus do it? He did it on the cross. Right. It's finished. Say it's finished. it's finished. 
Some of us in our mindset, we're waiting for God to do something in the future tense, and he's already done it in the past tense, and we're trying to get in alignment with God, but we're not in alignment because we're not in agreement. Because as long as we're saying God's going to do it, and God said, I've already done it, you're not in agreement. And God will never, even though he's already prepared it, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered the heart of man. The things that God has, has, past tense, has prepared for those who love him. So before we even have him, he's already prepared it. Before you even thought of it, he's already prepared it. Before you ever needed it, he already prepared it. Before you were, already, before you were even born, he already prepared it. See, Jehovah Jireh doesn't mean, just mean the God who provides. It literally means in the text, the God who saw your need way into the future and backed up and made provision. So before you knew you even had to pray for something, he already knew you'd be to the place of praying for something. And he backed up and said, I see my child's going to need that something. And it's in the promise of my word and I put it through Jesus. It's already done. So when we begin to approach the throne room of grace and say, Father, I thank you. I'm going to ask you. I believe I receive Mark 11, 24. Whatever it is you're praying for, don't come to the context of you're going to do it as if he still has to work it out. Understand it's already been provided. That's why the Bible says that the promises of God to you challenge everything I say. Don't take my word for anything. It's a, it's a good tactic and technique for you to challenge and have that mindset. Challenge everything with the word of God. But the Bible says that the promises of God to you are yea and amen, which means to prove and so be it yes. to the glory of God he wouldn't be able to say that unless he's already done it right. and so God will never even within his generosity he cannot will not override this thing he's called you that he's called to give and has given you called the will your choice he won't force you to get saved he'll love you he sent Jesus to die on the cross for you he paid the price for you but you you can't benefit from it until you by grace through faith, receive it. So there's a place of you saying, okay, and I'm going to receive. God can't force you to get saved, even though he's paid for it. He loves you, but he can't force you. He can't force you to walk in health. He can't force you to be blessed. He can't force you to be, uh, have peace. He can't force you to have joy. He can't force you to have the benefits of the, of the promises of the New Testament. Why? Because he won't force you. But he invites you. Say, he's invited me. Peter said, Lord, if that's you, call me out. Some of us, because our church background, we've been told that that's not from God anymore. So my question is not to say agree or disagree with it. Be open and just be like Peter and say, Jesus, if this is you, call me out. Give me, give me an invitation that I know that is from your word, that you're showing me. This is, this is available to me, right? Because I don't want to get to heaven and find out. It, it, praise God that you're saved and you're going to heaven. But wouldn't you like to get to heaven and find out that you did the destiny that God had for you, the purpose that God had for you? Wouldn't it be, you know what I mean, like, like Paul says, I have finished my race. I fought a good fight. Now there's a reward waiting for me in heaven. Some of us are like, nobody here, there's some Christians in the church world that they live their life that all their goal is, is to do whatever they want, go to Jesus only when they're in crisis, and make heaven by the skin of their teeth. Ooh, man, I just made it. That's all I need. Get me, don't, don't let me go to hell. Just let me get into heaven. But they are missing that. We ought to do another series again. We've done them before about the, what's going on in heaven. Most people don't realize all that's going to happen in heaven. Yeah. I'm just going to try to get into heaven. Well, there's something even better for that. Yeah. 
Can I get an amen? amen. And so God will, God will not overwhelm you, me, any of us with his goodness. But he will invite us. It gives us an invitation. Like we saw last week. How, how far do you want to go? How deep do you want to go in the things of God? Well, I know some Christians that gave their heart to the Lord 100% and served them. They got weird. No, they were weird before. They were around some weird people. Don't blame Jesus for that. But it's that mindset that's caused people to stop wanting to pursue God. We'll, we'll kind of go along with Jesus for a little bit. But I'm just here to tell you, if you look at the Word of God, going along with Jesus just 20% is not going to get you into heaven. Because he not only has to be your Savior, he has to be your Lord, which means you lay everything down. Lord, I belong to you. And the reason the devil's done what he's done in a lot of church religious circles is because it's caused people to think, well, let's not get carried away. And we stand a little distance. We'll, we'll come close to God, but we'll just stay a little distance. You know, I mean, we're not going to really go all out here because that'll be weird. No, weird people are weird. You just got to realize that. Jesus is not weird. Don't be a follower of them. Be a follower of Christ, a Christian, a follower of Jesus. Well, I know somebody. Well, we probably all know somebody. I know people that didn't even follow Jesus were weird. There's weird people everywhere. Don't worry about them. Don't let anything. I'm telling you, the best is yet to come in Jesus. And the closer you get to him, your life gets better. Can I get it? Amen. And so, uh, so we see through the scripture that God will never overwhelm us, but he invites us. Say, he invites me. He invites As you grow into things of God, you'll, you'll realize the invitation is to a next level. But as you're obeying God, you start finding that there's also these commands and instructions that God gives us. And the instructions really aren't the, the idea when God shows you something. It's not for you to say, let me think about it. It's really say, yes, sir. But the reason a lot of us don't hear the instruction is because we haven't positioned ourselves yet to be in the position of saying, yes, sir, before he speaks. It was Samuel that had to be trained by Eli, even though Eli was, had missed the mark and God was moving Samuel into the next position of the prophet. And Samuel, as a young man, heard the voice of God, Samuel, Samuel. And he awakened and went to Eli and said, what do you want? And Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back. And finally, on the third time, Eli understood what was going on. See, sometimes it takes us a few times to get it, does it not? And so Eli said to Samuel, next time you go back, if it happens again, just say, speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. Now, if you look at those phrases, they mean a lot because the word Lord means you're the master. You're the one in charge. I recognize who you are and your position in my life. Speak, Lord, for your servant, that means I'm going to do what you tell me, is listening. I'm hearing you. I'm just not hearing you that sounds are coming in my ear as we talk to people as they're watching TV with the remote control and said, did you hear me? Yeah, they heard you, but they're not listening. So speak, Lord, for your servant. I'm ready to do. You give me the command, I'll do it. I am listening. When you begin to have that mindset and that heart attitude, you'll begin to find God speak through his word to you a lot more often than you just looking for, you shouldn't do that. That was a sin. Some of us, the only th- encounter, encounter we have with God is sin. So all you think about is sin. And you think you've done good because you haven't heard God correct you about sin. But I'm telling you, that's like elementary level. There's so much more. There's so much more for you, child of God. There's so much more. So the angel didn't drag him. Peter had to follow. He had to get up. Our phrase was get up, get ready, get going. He had to wake him up. He was resting. Get up, get ready, get going. 
for him to step through the door. It's a walk of faith, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Not a leap of faith. Why don't you take a leap of faith? It's not in the Bible. That's why I don't take a leap of faith. I take a walk. It's a walk of faith. I step it out. I want to get from where I'm at to where you're at overnight. It don't work that way. You walk into the gym and see somebody in great shape. I want to do what you're doing so I can look, what, look like you. You can't do what they're doing. They didn't do that overnight. If you try to do what they're doing where they're at today, and they've been doing it for 20 years, and you've been doing it for 20 minutes, you know what? Somebody's going to be hurting tonight. Somebody's going to be taking some pain meds. But in our process of walking, in our process of faith, there's this thing that we must perceive or understand for us to keep walking because it's not a step, it's a continual walking. As long as you're alive, as long as you're breathing, as long as you're on this side of eternity, in my opinion, I'll put it this way, you have areas to, we all have areas of room for growth and advancement and a, a purpose. Well, I'm 92. Well, praise God, you've lived a long life, but your life's not over. God still wants to use you to help somebody. Because in the kingdom of God, it's just not what you receive. It's also what you release. That's really the biggest thing. Not what you've just received from heaven, but what you've released from heaven to help other people. A lot of Christians, all we get is our focus is on what we can get out of it. And that's the kingdom of the world. The kingdom of God is not only what can I receive, but what kind of impact can I have in the lives of other people? Not just how much money I have, but how much money can I give away? Not how much anointing that makes me feel good, but how much anointing can bless and free other people. And so there's this thing that we've included in, in our context. I don't know if I've never heard anybody refer to it in my own life, but but the context of there's a pause in our, in our walking. It's a walk of faith. We keep walking. And if you're going to walk, you're going to have a pause. There's a place of taking a step. There's a place of in that step standing, in that place of now releasing that stance to take another step. If we don't understand the power of the pause, what happens is, is that we will get totally sidetracked. Have you ever had someone say, man, God's given me such a burden for, maybe God's given me a burden for the youth. God's given me a burden for the Philippines. And they don't know what to do with the burden, but they have a burden, and they know it's from God. And so what, what do we do if we don't understand the power of the pause? We'll begin to try to articulate or craft a plan from the burden, utilizing our ideas of what we think God meant. And the epistles have said, why, which you have begun in the spirit, why are you trying to complete in the flesh? Which means God will get you started. Okay, God, I got it from here some say. And they'll sell everything they had and they'll move to the Philippines to help the Filipino and God looks at them and says, I never told you to move to the Philippines. I just wanted you to be praying for the Philippines. Or I wanted you to give a special love offering to help the Filipinos. Do you see the difference? We will change major course correction of our lives because of something we thought we understood. God's given me a desire. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll place his desires in your heart. He'll give you the desire of your heart. Commit your works also to him, trust him, and he'll bring it to pass. But we'll start with the desire. Then we need direction. Then we need that determination, the willing to walk it out. And then we need the demonstration how to handle it. I see that being played out in Matthew 13. The word goes forth. Jesus talks about the sower sowing the word. And the first, first seed was the people that received it but didn't really pay attention to it. And so the enemy sent birds, as the illustration, to steal the word so it would produce no results. You must understand that the word of, the word of God is the most powerful. It is so powerful. Yes. 
It's not a sermon. It's not a Bible study. It's not a Bible lesson. The Word of God is powerful. The devil does not want you to have the Word in your heart, in your life, in your mind. Because the Word changes everything. Isaiah 55, 11, as God's Word goes forth, it will not return void. It will accomplish that to which it's sent. Heaven and earth will pass away before my Word fails, Jesus said. God has elevated His Word above His name, Psalms 119. So the Word goes, and if people don't listen... They're flippant with it. They're lighthearted with it. They won't get anything out of it. They blame God. They'll blame the church. They'll blame a preacher. They'll blame their neighbors. But it wasn't any of them. They didn't hear because they weren't listening. But those who listen begin to hear. All of a sudden, it begin to produce some change in their life. And it said those people received it with gladness. But all of a sudden, they didn't have depth, which means they were excited by the experience. But they didn't follow through because Jesus already said in another place, anybody who hears my word and does them is as a person who builds their house on the rock. To build on a rock, you have to dig deep. It's a root system. It's a foundational system. You have to go below the surface. But a lot of Christians, and God loves them, and we love you too, if you're in that boat, I don't, you know what I mean? But the reality is, if all your Christianity is, is the emotional surface side of stuff, and you're looking for the next emotional buzz, you're going to miss out because there's a system below the surface that God wants you to operate in to function out of that will draw life and foundation for you. Because when the, when the pressure comes, those who just are all about the emotional experience or the surface of, ooh, that was a great service. Praise God, it was a great service. What are you going to do with that? Oh, I'm going to come back so I can have another great service. Praise God that you came back and praise God it's another great service. What are you going to do with that? If you don't know what you're going to do with it, how to apply it, you know what? You, you can start looking like you're producing fruit, but there's no root system. And it takes one storm, the heat of the pressure of one event in your life, the Bible says, that the pressure comes because of the Word's sake, not because of your sake, the Word's sake. That's how much the devil's afraid of the Word, is that if you get the Word in your life, he's going to begin to try to bring pressure against you because he doesn't want the Word producing. And the Bible says that as that seed went into that surface without the root system, without any depth, when when the pressure came, they withered away. Oh, I don't go to church anymore. You know, I tried that once. Everything was just on what can make them feel good. And God wants you to feel, God, feel good. God wants you to be happy. But there's a greater way. And then the other one was it re, they received the word with gladness. They had a root system. They began to produce fruit. And the Bible says that as they produced fruit, after they began producing fruit, things began to pop up. To choke the vine. We see where, I like to think of it this way. The devil's going to try to keep you from being in church or hearing the word. But if you're here, he's going to try to distract you. And if you receive it, he's going to try to keep pressure on you so you don't obey it. And if you obey it and begin to see the results of it, then he's, the next level of his ta tactic, because Paul says we're not ignorant of the devil's devices, the next thing you'll see, you'll, and you can see this in people's lives. They're like, I I'm just struggling to make ends meet. And they get a revelation on tithing and giving and alms and, and seed offering, and they begin to function as God reveals the word to them. As they obey it, it begins to produce results. And the devil's trying to keep it out of them. That's not for today anymore. And that's the devil's tactic to keep you from being blessed God's way. That's okay. If you, you know I mean, I, I don't matter to me if you tithe or don't tithe. That's between you and Jesus. It's not between you and me. Right. I've had people call and say, well, I don't agree with your decision. Okay, well, I'm doing my best. I'm going to follow God, not you. Well, I'm going to keep my tithe. From, I'm not going to give my tithe no more. Don't threaten me with your tithe because you're not giving to me. <laughs> you're talking to the wrong person. 
If you, think if you think your tithe connects you at any level to me, then you misunderstand. And maybe you've been in some churches and it was all about how much money you can give and closer you can get to your pastor. That's, that's between them. But I'm telling you, I want you to operate by faith because if you give it to me, then you expect me to produce something in you. And I'm not your Jesus. I'm trying to connect you to Jesus. If you tithe, I love you. If you don't tithe, I love you. But I'm telling you, if you operate by God's system, you'll be blessed. And the next phase is all of a sudden you see him getting blessed, and the devil entices them because it says that they are enticed, lured away, and it chokes and, and starts and causes them not to be fruitful any longer. All of a sudden they get blessed, and now it's like, ooh, I need a boat, and there's nothing wrong with the boat. Haven't seen you in church in six weeks. Oh, preacher, I got a boat. What has happened? The blessing became a curse in their life because they didn't manage and handle what God had given them. So at one level, they don't know what God is saying and showing. At one level, they don't know what to do and how, and how to make it work, and then they, God shows them what to do with it. And then they've got to learn how to manage what God has for you. These are all different steps in any level, every area of your life. Finances, health, anointing, ministry, career, marriage. There are all these different phases. You're praying, you're praying the whole time, I need to get married. I want to get married. God's given a place on your heart. You want to get married and have kids. And you're, I, I want to get married. You're praying, you're believing, receiving. You're not prepared. If you're not prepared, then when God brings it into your life to receive it, the devil will try to throw distractions at you because you're not managing what God's blessed you with. Mm. So what's my point? We just don't need Jesus in his word at the beginning of the, of the journey. We need Jesus throughout the whole process. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. He didn't say, follow me and I'll get you started and then I'm going to send you off. My dad used to do that to me when I was a teenager. He said, son, come out and help me. I'm working on the yard. And then he would always throw, it only take 10 minutes. I knew when he said 10 minutes, it was a two-hour, four-hour, six-hour. I'd get out there in the heat. He's like, oh, come on, we're going to work. I got this started. Now you work. And he goes, okay, now that you're going and I got you started, you're, I mean, I'll, I'll see you later. And leave me. <laughs> it started as, a, let's do it together. Next thing I know, he's gone. Jesus doesn't do that to us. Amen. He doesn't say, follow me until you get started, and then I'm going to stop and you get going. What happens is, he says, follow me, and I'll get you started in that career, in that relationship in that healing process, in that blessing. But he never stops walking. He never stops. It's our choice to either keep following him. Some stop, say, I'm not going to go any farther. Malachi 3, I'll pour out a blessing that there's not room enough to contain it. And in the Hebrew, it literally says, until you say it is enough. It's not greed. Greed is wanting what belongs to somebody else. It's, it's wanting to activate what God has for you through salvation, sozo, solterio is the Greek words, so that you can only receive it now but share it with others. So that his kingdom come, his will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. So you become the aroma, Corinthians talks about, of his goodness wherever you go. Some of us, uh, I'm not going down that road. I can make, so, so there's steps, say there's steps. And in the process of steps, there's a pause. Uh, Lord brought this to my attention even in a service. And you'll find in a lot of uh, powerful anointed services, there will be a moment where it goes from high energy to a pause. And in my own prayer, I'm like, Lord, what can I do? Because I'm always looking to improve in any and every area of my life. What can I do? 
what, what do I need to do? What phrases do I need to look at? What, what do I need to do? Because to, to, I, I don't like to pause. And the Lord basically showed me, it's not me. It's an opportunity to see if the people want to go deeper. He'll only take you. He invites you, but he'll only take you as far as that your desire. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. Draw, uh, James says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Jesus said to the disciples, I have many things to say to you, but you're not ready. You can't bear them. So there is a preparation. Samuel had to get prepared to respond to the invitation so that he can go to the next season. So there was a pause. There was a pause. Say there's a pause. Now a pause, just so we can clarify, a pause is an invitation to keep following. So sometimes the Lord will stop and say, do you want to keep going? Where do I get that from? God told Moses, I've got the people the promise to the promised land. I'm not going to go any farther. I'm going to send you and the angels, you and an angel to go in and lead the people. And Moses said, God, what separates us from the rest of the nations of the world? Please, challenge, check this out on your own time. What, what is separates us from the rest of the nations of the world? Is it not your presence with us? If you don't go, we don't go. What was he saying? I'm following you. You have led us this far. And we want you to know that as great as that promise is, we choose you over even the fulfillment of the promise. We want you. So a pause is an opportunity for our own improvement, development, or just resolve between us and the Lord that we still want to follow you. I still want to follow you. Lord, you've blessed me, and now you're the CEO of a company, and you have a great salary and a great pension plan and a great retirement and uh, all, all the benefits, and you stop and say, Lord, I want you to know that I know that it was you that helped me get here. And I want you to know that I still need you here. I needed you there when I couldn't even get the bills paid. But I need you even more here. Because I need to handle what you have put in my hands. I need you here. So I still need you, Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. A pause, oh, for clarification, a pause, are you listening? A pause is not a pass, a free pass to stop. It's not a, oh, I guess God doesn't want me to go any farther and I'm going to stop and I'm going to stay. You're welcome to stay at any level of your life and your journey. That's between you and Jesus. But I'm telling you, a pause is not, okay, we're going to camp out. We're going to stay here forever. No, God expects us for increase. God wants us to grow, Proverbs 4, that the path of the righteous shines brighter and brighter until the completed day. If we look the same tomorrow as we did yesterday, if we look 10 years from now the same as we did 10 years ago, we need to reevaluate. Lord, what do I need to do different? Because I want to, if it's a new direction, I need you. If it's how to do, you've given me a desire, but I don't know how to do it. I need direction on how to make this happen. I need you. I need wisdom from heaven. Okay, God, I thank you for the desire and the, the how-to, and it's working. But I want you to know I'm seeing the harvest. I still need you because I don't want to be sidetracked. I don't want to blow this thing up. I don't want to go down the wrong road. I don't want to mishandle it. I still need you. I need you in every phase. 
How do we get to a place? What is the key element to allow us to step in regardless of the phase? If it's the desire, if it's the direction, if it's the demonstration and the management of it, what is it element that enables us in those pause moments to be able to access God so that we can handle what God wants us to handle, direct, be directed the way God wants to direct us, and get the desires that he wants us to have? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and and carry heavy burdens, New Living Translation, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest, to your, rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. And I will give you rest. I don't know about you, for me, now, everybody's wired typically different, Emotionally, experience, nature, nurture, whatever you want to call it. Some people, it'll take dynamite to get them off their seat and get moving. Some, it'll take dynamite to stop them from moving forward. You got you to pull the reins on them. Wherever you're at the journey, God can walk with you in that process. But I've noticed in my own life, that I'll get so excited. I like operating with my hair on fire. I love the adrenaline kick of it's impossible, it's too late, we should have started this three months ago, and I'm like, no, we can do it. We have plenty of time. We don't have plenty of time. Yeah, see, what you're doing is you're marking by days, I'm marking by minutes. You know how many minutes in one day? I mean, we start calculating how many minutes you got left. You have a lot of time. You can get things. I mean, we've done stuff in the past years ago. And again, I've learned to develop and plan and process, and it works a lot better. But my natural tendency is to start running with the excitement. I mean, we used to, back in the day, we would do stuff, and it'd be like, there's no way. And we'd get it done in 24 hours. I love doing what appears to be impossible. But in our journey, if we're not careful, we can make major decisions in the urgency of a pressure created by ourselves and not created by God. Yes. Urgency is a very dangerous thing. Yes. Never be rushed by the panic of somebody else. Amen. Tactic, it's a great negotiating tactic to get you to manipulate you to do stuff you don't necessarily want or need to do. Well, if you don't buy and sign this paper right now, someone else might buy that house. We only have, that's the last car that we have on the lot. And if you don't buy this, we don't know if we're going to get one just like that. Sure you will. Unless you're going to go bankrupt, you're going to have another car. But what do they do? They put pressure on you. It's a marketing technique. Act now. Call this number in the next five minutes. It's literally a, an advertising marketing technique to motivate people to move by creating a sense of urgency that if they do not move, they will miss the opportunity. Because psych psychologically, they have found that people hate missing opportunities. And yet we'll find ourselves running wild because of other people's pressure. See, if the devil can't stop you from serving God, he'll try to push you into a pace that's beyond what God led you to. And some of us in the church world, no one here, some of us in the church world, we are moving so fast doing a lot of good things, but we might not be doing God's thing. Right. We could do a lot of stuff, but are we doing the right stuff? Jesus said, in, the, in those days, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not? And he goes through a whole list of things that we would all consider great. 
cast out devils, heal the sick. And Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. They used to bug me. Because those are all good things that we, the Bible tells us we should be doing. But if you look at the original text, the word iniquity, it isn't sin. Literally, better translation, it says, you who did unauthorized works. We have to get past the idea that everything I do and tag it with Jesus is a good thing. Let me free some of you real quick. Can I do that next? Just because someone else who's anointed to do it doesn't mean God anointed you to do it. You need to be out on the streets feeding people. Maybe, maybe not. You need to do what God shows you to do. There are people that are, that are anointed and called to do that ministry, and there's some people who are anointed and called to do children's ministry, and, there's some, and we don't want to mix those two up. You don't talk to a two-year-old like you talk to somebody on the street, and you're trying to force feed them, and you don't talk to somebody on the street like you would talk to a two-year-old. Are you with me? God has put different people in the body with their own function and their own purpose. And what has happened is somewhere in the world we thought if someone was good or gifted or anointed to do it, that everybody needs to follow because God's blessing them in what they're doing. And I want the blessing, so I'm going to do what they're doing. But if, you didn't do, if God didn't call you to do what they're doing, that blessing is not going to flow because it's tied in with your obedience. Jesus said, I have not come to do my will. I have come to do the will of the Father. The Bible said, Jesus said, anybody who enters the kingdom of God is those who do the will of the Father. What does God want? you to do? What's the heart of the Father for you? What's his heartbeat for you? I heard said recently, two of the greatest moments is the day you're born and the day you figure out why. A lot of us do anything and everything that looks good and we wear ourselves out and we are exhausted. And in some churches, if you, all you have to do is tell somebody, you don't even have to tell the, the preacher or the pastor or the elder or the bishop. Everybody's into titles, not around here. I'd rather have the anointing than the title. Can I get an amen? I figure if you got the anointing, you don't have to tell anybody the title. They'll know you've been with Jesus. But some churches, and I'm not diminishing them, they do what they have to do, but all you have to do is breathe that you might be available to volunteer. And all of a sudden, you're signed up for things that you didn't even know anything about. I'm not qualified. Are you breathing? Yeah, you're qualified. And people have literally been abused. And not, I don't believe people are doing it on purpose, and maybe they were, but some people have been abused and exhausted in the church world because they found that they had every night was now filled up with stuff that the church wanted them to do that God didn't call them to do. We want everybody to volunteer because I, I believe everybody has a purpose and a gift. But I'll not tell you what we need. We'll just say here's opportunities or we'll ask you what are you gifted to do because I want you flowing the anointing the, and the gifting that God has for you. But there's this weight that so many people in the church world live with because the weight is the expectation of man and not the expectation of God. And we have to get the fear of man out of our Christian life so that we can say, God, I'm here to follow you. And Sister so-and-so tells me I should do all these ten things, and I'm not jiving. I don't don't understand that. And God said, listen, you just follow me. You don't need to live my convictions. You need to live your own convictions that come out of the Word of God to reveal by the Spirit of God. Well, what if they don't read the Bible? Well, they're going to end up 
dying spiritually anyway, even if they're doing stuff. I'd rather them know the path they're on because we need to spend time with God to walk this out. Can I get an amen? amen. Can I get a better amen? Notice that verse, let's keep this up if we can on the screen, that Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you what? Folks, this context of rest is so important. It's not being lazy, because Proverbs talks about being lazy. Not a good thing. But there is a rest, Hebrews 4 says, there is a rest to the people of God. If the devil can't keep you, he'll try to pressure you to get into stuff that's not called from heaven, to exhaust you. So that you can't find God. You can't find the desire from heaven. You can't find direction from heaven. You can't find the, the management way to handle what he's bringing into your life. Because we get so exhausted doing so many things that he never asked us to do. Sometimes it's good to simplify and get alone. Jesus would get alone. What he said, come to me. We need physical rest. A physical rest. This is like overly practical, but I'm telling you, it is spiritually powerful. Some of us get into the storms of life, and we're looking for God to do something, and we can't sense God. We don't know direction from God, and we are trying to will it as hard as we can. And we are trying to will a direction, a desire, and we are forcing it. And if it doesn't show up in time, we'll begin to make believe and add our imagination to it and say, that must be from God. And sometimes you just got to learn to relax a little bit. Rest. One of the things that's helped me when praying for the sick is just to tell people, don't even pray. Just relax. Because you go to pray for somebody that, for healing, and man, they'll get all tight. And they're going to pray, and they're going to pray. How do you receive when you're, how do you hear anything when you're talking? Sometimes it's okay to learn to shut up, be quiet, relax. Say relax. See, some of you are tense. You walked in this building and said, I don't know who these people are. This is strange. A church and a mall. What are we doing with this? They got a grocery store. That's kind of interesting. I came for a can of food. What are we doing here? Just relax. Just relax. Just relax. Just relax. Just relax. We need to, there's physical rest that we need in our lives. It's so important that one of the Ten Commandments was to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Now, the Sabbath is a day of well, they took it too far because they began to let people die in the context so they wouldn't do anything. And Jesus said, wait a minute, the Sabbath was made for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. It's, a, it's an instructional purpose that this really, some of us feel like if we're not doing something all the time and doing and we're so busy, we're exhausted, and we can't figure out why we're stressing out at people. Everybody's just being ignorant. No, maybe you need to take a nap. Everybody's just, no, maybe it's you. If everybody's crazy, I didn't say it because that wouldn't be nice. You said it. I let you say it. That was Mark 2.27. If the devil can't stop you, he'll try to exhaust you. Isaiah 40, verse 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. There's a physical rest. Physical rest. In your pause, Take a moment and begin to just recharge a little bit yeah. in God's presence. Enter his rest. Number two, is that practical or what? Yes. There's a, a rest in your soul. Look at that verse again. Let's keep that up on the screen, Matthew 11. Then Jesus said, come to me and all of you who are weary and, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke 
upon me, excuse me, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle. you got to let him teach you. Be open for him to teach you. How does he teach you? Through his word. For he is the word, John 1, 1 and verse 14. Because I am humble and gentle at heart. I want to take a moment, just 10 seconds to say this. Notice the heart and compassion of your heavenly father. Because Jesus, is the Hebrew says, the expressed image of the father. If you want to see the heart of the father, look to the son. Notice what Jesus is saying. Listen, if you let me. I want to teach you. I want to give you rest. Because I'm humble and I'm gentle at heart. I'm gentle at heart. To his children, he's gentle at heart. Let me teach you. And if you will, guess what? And you will find rest. Sometimes he gives it to us. Sometimes we find it. But if you're going to find it, you need to be looking for it. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and my burden is light. What am I saying? John 10, 9. Jesus said, I'm the doorway. Anybody who comes through me will find salvation and will freely go in and out and find pasture. We've got to keep coming back in and out of the Word. In and out of the Word. Yeah. You can't read the Word 24-7, but if you haven't read the Word in two years, there's something about reading the Word. Not only hearing it. Hearing is important also. Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But I'm telling you, reading is also a different dynamic. To see the word. Keep the word before your eyes, David said. Romans 12, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right. Romans 12, too. What happened? There's something. You, we need to learn to spend time in the word of God. Yes. You don't have to read 50 chapters, but begin reading. And in the process of time, watch what happens. It'll renew your mind. It'll renew your mind. It'll renew your mind. It'll renew your mind. I don't want to say this as a blanket because I'll have someone come up with an exception. But I'm telling you, a lot of the stuff that we deal with is in the battlefield of our mind. And it's because we're not spending enough time reading the Word. I don't have time to read the Word. Yeah, but you have just binge-watched the last three seasons of Big Brother in two days. Come on, somebody. And you don't have any time to read the Word. And you're complaining to God because of all these crazy thoughts that keep hitting your mind. Maybe you need to reevaluate. And I'm not saying don't watch TV, but you need to reevaluate and say, am, do I, am I spending time? Am I going into the Word? Am I keep coming into the Word? Am, am I going into the Word? Last but not least is rest in your spirit. Hebrews 4. The whole context of Hebrews 4 and God bringing his people to a place of promise, the promised land, that he has already prepared for them. And the Bible tells us that they could not enter into the promised land. They could not enter into his rest because of their unbelief. But tells us to strive to enter into his rest. When you strive to enter in his rest, you are coming into a place of saying, God, it's not my ability anymore. I'm going to obey what you show me to do because James's faith without works is dead which means produces no change. But when we begin to say, Lord, speak to my heart. Show me what to do, and I'm going to obey. I'm going to quit trying to make this work. I'm going to quit trying to do it on my own. Romans 4, Abraham was fully persuaded. He was not weak in faith, but against hope, against hope, in a hopeless situation, he was fully persuaded that the God who made the promise is well able. Why? Because he did not consider his own body dead. Now the deadness of Sarah's womb. He was 100 years old. The deadness of Sarah's womb, which means he wasn't looking at the problem and saying, in the problem, problem, how do I fix it in the problem? He's saying, God, you already spoke to me about it. I'm going to trust you. Now what I need to do, you show me and I'll obey you. I'll react to your instruction. 
I'll react to your instruction. I'll react to your instruction. But what has happened in the church world is we think, and I believe it's either insecurity or pride, which is really both. I'll react to your instruction. And many times in the world, we get this attitude that we don't need that we don't need God. We don't need other people. We are our own person, and we will make our choices. And we are creating the instruction for us to follow through. And when you're the author of your own plan, you will be the devastation in the future because you're not following God's plan. You're following your plan. I'm telling you, if you want victory, it's not you being the brain trust and knowing everything and creating the master plan and the architect. It's backing up and saying, God, you're the architect. You show me what to do, and I will react with obedience to the instruction from your word from heaven that you show me to do because I need you to show me. Place the desire in my heart. I need you to show me how to do this. I need you on how do I manage this. I need you on how do I walk through this. I need you on how do I keep doing this. I need you on how do I take it to the next level. we got to keep following him, and we do it by having these pauses of rest and saying, it's going good, but Lord, I'm not going to get caught up with the excitement. I'm not going to get caught up with the adrenaline. I'm not going to get caught up with the success. I am taking a moment and a pause and saying, you're still Lord. Jesus, you're still Lord. You were Lord when I'm single and you were Lord when I'm married. You were Lord when I had no kids and you were Lord when I got a lot of kids. You were Lord when I had no money. And don't be those people who cry out to God when you're broke and say, I need you. But when you get some, just a little few bucks in your pocket, you don't even remember them anymore. You are on a Ferris wheel of destruction. That is not what Christianity is meant to be. God didn't, oh, I'll come back to church when I'm really gotten the problem. You are a fool twice over. You need to be told, and you're walking and being led by the blind. The blind are leading the blind, and you keep falling in a pit, and that's not the life that God has for you. Proverbs 4, the path of the righteous, what is it? It goes brighter and brighter and brighter unto the completed day. The steps of the just are ordered of the Lord. Let him guide you. It's not hearing weird voices. It's following the word. Can he speak to your spirit like you're hearing a voice? Yes, but if you can't obey the written word of God, you can't obey the spoken word of God. And if you're not spending time in the written word of God, you have no right to access another level. Sometimes you are trying to do calculus and you haven't even learned two plus two equals four. And we'll get sidetracked by somebody saying, the Lord told me to tell you. And you don't have enough word in you. Can I talk to you this way for a minute? And some Christians, they don't have enough word in them to know and a discerning in their spirit to know that that was of them and not of God. That's not in the Bible. God didn't tell you to tell me that. People will use the things of God to manipulate other people for their own desires. You've got to wake up. I've heard of people coming in saying they're a prophet, and maybe, maybe not, I don't know, but they're still human. They can get it wrong. And come into a church and have a great meeting, and they say, the Lord told me, preacher, you need to step down and let me have the church. I had a guy, this is years ago, I had a guy show up on a Sunday morning. And I heard from a distance, he said, I'm, I'm looking for the pastor. Who's the pastor? And someone did the worst thing ever. They pointed to me. My friend, if, any, if you love me just 1%, if anybody says, who's the pastor? Say, I don't know where he's at. I, I mean, just turn your back to me and say, you might need to talk to the office. Don't point me out in the group setting. Someone pointed out, he came up and said, are you the pastor? I said, yeah. Now, if he's so anointed and so prophetic, what do you think he would know? 
God sent them to the church. He sent them to, okay. Why don't you tell? Yeah, I had somebody say, you know, when you're going through a hard time, why don't you tell a lot of people to pray? Well, I want people who can pray. Well, don't you think they can pray? Well, if they can pray, they would hear. If they're praying already, they would already have heard what I need. Oh, I'll leave that for that guy. I cuss you off. It's because the truth be told in the church world, that what we call Christianese, is people are saying that they want to be on the prayer chain, but really they don't want to pray or fast or seek God with tears and pushing through into heaven to get a need answered for somebody else. All they want to know is what's going on in your life. And you can't tell everybody what's going on in your life. Well, I'll be there for praying. Well, if you're there praying for me, then you know what? God will show you what you need to be praying without me telling you anything. Okay. So he shows up. I don't know. I just believe this Bible. You know, I'm tired of people watering the word, the spiritual word of God down with the mindset of humanity and made it palatable and acceptable to the world. That doesn't make sense to the world. It's not supposed to make sense. This thing is real. I don't know. That speaking of tongues is kind of weird. Yeah, so is a virgin birth. Go figure. Okay, so back to this. So this guy shows up and says, are you the pastor? Yes. Second mistake. I should have never have told him that. <laughs> he said, I'm prophet so-and-so. I love it when people give me their accolades and they're introducing themselves. I'm just, and if you disagree with me, just please pray for me. I kind of want to say, I don't care. You know what I mean? I don't, don't know you. Don't tell me about you. I'm, I'm prophet so-and-so. And the Lord gave me a word for your church. I just want to know if I can have the platform to share it today. Sounds spiritual. And out of my spirit, I didn't even think about it. Out of my spirit, I said, listen, the Holy Spirit didn't tell me you were coming. And if he, you, if he sent you, he would have told me you were coming. And he didn't tell me you because he could speak to me too as he speaks to you. And the Holy Spirit didn't tell me you were coming. So there, you're not getting close to my platform, but I'm so glad that you came. Make yourself at home. Don't you think the Holy Spirit could tell me as well as him? Are you kidding? If some joker shows up and said, Lord told me that we're supposed to get married... And God didn't tell you that? Just say, they'll do. some people, we'll leave it with people. They'll go around five or six people. God told me you're supposed to marry me. Crazy. Tell you that. And you already married got four kids. You think I'm joking. That has happened. And people get in a dilemma, what am I supposed to do, Pastor? I got, his, I got a family, and I was happily married and four kids, but they said the Holy Spirit told them they were supposed to, I'm supposed to, are you kidding? That's not even in the Bible. Okay, so that was my digressive, people trying to get ahead of themselves. It's walking the steps out, walking the steps out, and each step saying, Lord, I depend on you, on your word. I need you. Say, I need you, Jesus. The moment you get to a place that you don't need him, this should be a scary place for you. It doesn't mean you're miserable. It doesn't mean you're sad. It means that you recognize you depend on him from the beginning of the journey to the end of the journey. Look to heaven real quick and say, I need you, Jesus, at every step, at every level. Give him a hand clap of praise. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and do not have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, 
I'm not asking if you know about God. I'm asking you, is Jesus Christ real to you in a way that you know for yourself, in the way you understand, in the way you process, that he's real, that he's your Lord and your Savior? If you don't, you can. It's about a real relationship. It's about a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Your sin's forgiven. You're going to heaven. You know him. Wouldn't you like to lay your head on your pillow tonight and know that your heart is right with God and heaven is your home? If you can't say that, then this is your moment right now. Romans 10, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 5 says, those with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Revelation 3, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus said, if you open up, I'll come in. Let this prayer come from your heart. Say with me, Heavenly Father, I repent of all my sins. I turn to you today. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That he came to this earth in the flesh, died on a cross for my sins, was buried for me, and on the third day rose again for me. Because I believe that, I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart, wash me in your blood, forgive me, cleanse me, give me a fresh start. Say, Jesus, I don't want a religion. I want a real relationship with you. So I open up the door of my heart and life, and I invite you in to be my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Now look up here. If you prayed that prayer, just so I know who I was praying with, if you prayed that prayer and say, Pastor, that was me. And I I know there's more than uh, one person, but that was me. I prayed that prayer and just gave my heart to the Lord. At the count of three, I want you to simply lift your hand so I know who I was praying with. One, two, three. Who would I pray with? I see the hand. Second hand, God bless you. Three, four. Keep your hand up if you would. Keep your hand up. Five, six. God bless you. Anybody else? Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. Come on. Keep your hand. Twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two. Keep your hand up. I want to speak a blessing over your life. Twenty-three, twenty-four. Amen. Twenty-five. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap, church. Keep your hand up. Now, church, church, stretch your hands toward those that are near you. Just, you don't have to touch them, just stretch your hands. Father, for those who just accepted you, who just gave their heart to you, that got their hands raised, I pray a blessing on their life. According to your word, let them be strengthened with might by your spirit and their inner person. From this day forward, give them supernatural wisdom and strength beyond their history, beyond their years, beyond their understanding. Empower them on the inside to say yes to you and no to sin and temptation. Strengthen them against all opposition so that the winds of the enemy will no longer even affect them as they stand up for you. And we give you praise. And everyone shouted, Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise one more time.